everything on your mind today It always goes to those who don't deserve It's the opposite of how you feel When the pain they cause is just too real Takes everything you have to say the word Forgiveness Okay, um, today we're going to talk about forgiveness. This uh, teaching comes from a conversation that AJ and I had last week on forgiveness and the impact of unforgiveness on a person's ministry. So what's the highest form of giving? Forgiving, right? I like that. The highest form of giving is forgiving. Forgiveness is not optional equipment in the spiritual walk. It's essential You cannot walk in freedom if you're bound by unforgiveness. You cannot walk with any real spiritual adeptness with unforgiveness. Much of the unhealthiness of our souls, the reason that we don't progress spiritually to where we ought to be, is because we have unforgiveness in our lives. So that's a good test. If you find yourself a little frustrated with your spiritual progress, It might be something that you and God might need to talk over. Do you have unforgiveness in your life? Go to Matthew chapter 18, Matthew 18. Now, you know, throughout my spiritual life, I've heard many teachings on forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness, uh, as I'm sure the rest of you have had. But I, I want you to listen with ears that this may very well apply to you. I think, uh, you know, in a lot of teachings, you know, we'll say, well, you know, I'm, I'm fine. That might apply to somebody else. I would be willing to say that, you know, the Holy Spirit has a way to point things out for us. You know, it's uh, recently come to my spiritual understanding that I was holding unforgiveness towards a person. I didn't even realize I was, but it was something that I had to come to terms with. And so unforgiveness in our lives is something that God wants gone. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, look at verse 23. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven... Is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt. And let him go. Isn't that something? But when the servant went out, he found out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. So notice right here that, you know, just this, the distinctive difference between the, the mercy of his master and the, the violence of him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. Fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. So, you know, his hypocrisy was apparent. Greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. When the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? 
In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So God is very concerned with forgiveness. And the heartfelt recognition of our own failings and our own need for God's forgiveness and our ability to extend forgiveness to other people are inseparable, right? They're inseparable, and that's the point of this teaching, that I'm going to deprive other people forgiveness when I don't recognize that God forgives me. Remember, an old minister in the ministry says, I have no problem forgiving other people when I think of all that God has forgiven me, and that is a a big deal. Before we get into talking about forgiveness, however, let's talk about justice. Justice is the approval of what is right and the disapproval of what is wrong. God is just, and he defines justice and equity. And since we are created in his image, we have been imbued with this sense of justice, part of our makeup. Listen to children, right? They could be peacefully playing, and suddenly, for some real or perceived slight or injustice, one of them will exclaim, that's not fair, right? So even in the smallest children, they recognize injustice. Justice is part of the natural law of the conscience in Romans chapter 2. And it's imprinted upon our souls by the creator so that mankind can discern, rule, and mediate. Okay? It's part of our makeup. It's part of our makeup. It serves a very real purpose. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Right? That's the golden rule. And within that is a sense of justice. So retribution means a payback, a penalty, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? So there's an indignity, of course, when you see a wrong that you want retribution. That's not unnatural, all right? So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness means to pardon. It means to excuse the offense without exacting The due penalty. With forgiveness, there is no retribution. Listen to this quote. True forgiveness means laying down our right to remain angry and giving up our claim for future repayment of the debt. True forgiveness means laying down our right to remain angry and giving up our claim for future repayment of the debt we have suffered. So here's a little definition. What is the definition of godliness? Being an imitator of God. And that's exactly what the Bible tells us that we should do. We should be imitators of God. We should be partakers of his divine nature. And this idea of forgiveness is essential to that. Go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And look in verse 36. It says, Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be Forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. How about that? So there is this, this idea that as we walk in imitation of God, in godliness, we extend forgiveness. Forgiveness is extended to us. Isn't that wonderful? Now, of course, in Christ Jesus, We have an abundance of forgiveness. We could never tit for tat with God, okay? I mean, that's amazing. We get forgiveness when 
we have not been as forgiving as we ought to be. But the point is, is that there's this idea that, that as we walk with God, we should imitate God. Go to Matthew chapter 6, uh, look in verse 11, I'm sorry. It says, give us this day our daily bread. And then it says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, that's interesting because if you look at that same record in Luke 11, it says, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. In the Jewish mind, a sin was a debt. It was a debt. You had charged a debt. And I thought about that record in Colossians. Uh, it says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave all your sins, having canceled the written code with all its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed us. He took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Remember, we were we were taught that we had a debt. That debt was folded over and nailed to the cross. So that's how God is with us, that God forgives us every day. Every day God is canceling debts, canceling debts, canceling debts, and that we should extend that to others. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but First John chapter 1 says, this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So the point here is, is that as God is merciful and as God is forgiving, so we must be also if we desire to represent God, right, and walk with him. So let's talk about unforgiveness. Where does unforgiveness come from? It comes from a sense of unfulfilled, unrequited justice. That's not fair. That's not fair. There's no payback. There's no retribution. When you've been hurt, what do you want to do? What's your natural inclination? To hurt, right? Hurt people, hurt people. And that's especially true with this whole idea of unforgiveness. That's where that comes from. Unforgiveness shows itself in a range of different ways, from petty resentments and attitudes to vengeful malice. You look at what we consume in our entertainment in the movies. V for vendetta. You know, it's a theme that we see all the time of this unrequited, you know, vengeance, that there's been a wrong and... It gets set right by uh, an act of vengeance. You know, rarely do we turn on a TV show that's about forgiveness. Although we did see one last night. A great movie, if you want to see it, it's called The Professor and the Madman. It has Sean Penn and um, Mel Gibson in it. Really good movie. And it's a true story. So if you get a chance to see it, see it. But a lot of times we're not even conscious of our unforgiveness. We're simply embittered towards somebody and we've never really sat and thought about it. Unforgiveness is endemic to the nature of Adam. You know, you think about some of the old standing disputes that went on for years and years, centuries in Europe, where people just hate each other's guts. I mean, look at the Israel-Palestinian conflict. I mean, people hate each other. And it's just, it's interesting because if you were to take these two people and, you know, if you had a person from each side and put them together, they, they could be the best of friends, right? But then you have this overriding issue. Look at what's going on in our culture today. I mean, it, it is quickly becoming that way where people hate each other's guts, hate each other's guts, and they've never actually met them. It's, it's spiritual. 
It's spiritual. I mean, we, if you look at the history of the 20th century, we had two gigantic world wars that were built on these, these, you know, cultural antipathies. You know, not people unable to forgive other people. You simply cannot worship God properly with unforgiveness in your heart. Go to Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 5. It says in verse 23, Therefore, if you are offering a gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother, then come and offer your gift. How about that? That unforgiveness contaminates even worship. Isn't that something? Unforgiveness anchors a person to the past. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Anchors. You know, men... You know, they try to be funny sometime and refer to their wife as their ball and chain. Ha 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 ha. They don't realize that oftentimes it's, it's the things, those things that they hold in their heart that are the true ball and chains that anchor them to the paths. Philippians chapter three and look in verse 13. It says, brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of, but the one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining Towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Isn't that something? So you get this idea of a person running, just racing for the mark and stretching for the goal. You can't do that with unforgiveness. You cannot do that. You can't do it. Minding unpaid debts and past offenses. You can't mind both the flesh and the spirit at the same time. How many Christians have I known through the years who refuse to forgive the offenses of a former ministry? How many refuse to forgive the offenses of other Christians they used to work with in ministry? Isn't that something? I mean, that is really an amazing thing to me. You know, we're we're moving the word together. I mean, how many people in the world do that? And then antipathy builds between two brothers or two, you know, Christians who are moving the word together. And then they hold on to these things for years and years and years, these offenses, instead of forgiving and moving on. How many, uh, yeah, I read that, uh, they become bitter and they become angry. They hold on to unforgiveness with a sense of entitlement, as if it were their red badge of courage. Right, right, as if it were a pet. Exactly. This sense of entitlement. I'm entitled to my grudge. What they fail to realize is that by doing so, they disqualify themselves from the race. How about that? This unforgiveness has a way of finding its way into other aspects of their ministry so that the offended later becomes the offender. And their ministry yields no real spiritual fruit because their walk has been essentially carnalized. Does that make sense to everybody? Through this unforgiveness. A person cannot travel light spiritually with unforgiveness in their hearts. And when you refuse to forgive someone, that person lives rent-free in your soul. Isn't that something? It's a burden that none of us can afford to carry. We just can't. Matthew 18. I was pleasantly surprised with this teaching, how many records show up in Matthew. It's really something. Matthew 18. Look in verse 21. 18.21. It says, And Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? I... Uh, you know, and I think that Peter, when he said this, must have thought he was being, you know, charitable. <laughs> it was like, you know, look, and the magnanimous. Look at how 
how big-hearted I am. And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Isn't that something? And the point here is, is that we're to forgive all the time. It's an unqualified commandment. Exactly. We're not counting. Uh, go to Romans chapter 12. See, an unforgiving spirit closely is, is closely associated with a vindictive and a vengeful spirit. Romans 12. And look in verse 17. It says, do not repay every anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I love that. Do not be overcome with evil. So why do we, why do we hold on to unforgiveness? It was this notion of retribution, right? But we're actually accomplishing God's will by forgiving and overcoming evil with good. You're not going to overcome evil with good if you're holding a vengeful spirit. It just doesn't work that way because unforgiveness embitters and hardens your heart. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews 12. And look at verse 14. This says what, what Romans 12 said. It says, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Is that clear? Is that clear? Do you think that you can be holy and hold a vengeful spirit? No, you cannot. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And there you go, Marnie. That's it. That bitter root that defiles a person. Go to Titus chapter 1. See, unforgiveness has a corrupting influence on your soul. It corrupts you. You're not forgiving the other person primarily for them. You're forgiving that other person primarily for God first and yourself second. Titus chapter 1, verse 15, it says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. So when you allow corruption into your life, it obscures your vision. Do you see that? It, 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 you're, you start manifesting the corruption. You see things wrong. Isn't that something? You see things wrong. I've always been amazed at this this aspect of humanity, that you can take a similar situation, two people, they're both looking at the same situation, but they're looking at it from very different vantage points. One person is corrupted and sees it one way, and another person who doesn't isn't corrupted sees it in an entirely different way. And And that is so essential for us as Christians and wanting to hear from God, right, and wanting to do God's word that... I can, you know, if I allow unforgiveness into my life and into my ministry, it will, you know, what does it say? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It le- it it corrupts. It has this corrupting influence. Um, it goes on to say, in fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim that they know God. Everybody says they know God. 
You can have a church full of people. Everybody's like, yeah, I know God. Sure, I know God. And yet you have different fruit coming out of different people, which is very interesting, right? They claim that they know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. How about that? That's why it's so essential for us to have a spiritual maintenance plan in our lives. And especially if one of our brothers and sisters step up and say, look, such and such, you know, I, I perceive that you have unforgiveness in your life. You should listen very carefully because, like I said, a lot of times we have blind spots. We don't see the unforgiveness in our lives. Our spiritual ears should be attuned to hear unforgiveness. You know, a lot of times people get together and they start going over the past and they start saying, yeah, well, such and such did this to me and yeah, that, you know, and then you start commiserating and then you get into this very unwholesome conversation, right? And I know many of us did that. I did it, you know, after leaving a certain ministry and we share these conversations and, and there's just nothing good about them. There's just nothing good about them. But we need to attune our ears to hearing unforgiveness. If we hear unforgiveness in a leader, that should be a big red flag. It should be a big red flag no matter what. But if we hear it in a leader, it should be a big red flag for us. And we should be wary of that leader, of the doctrine that comes out of that leader's ministry. It's impossible that unforgiveness does not touch that ministry. Does that make sense to everybody? That unforgiveness will touch that ministry. Unforgiveness hinders the development of relationships. It poisons intimacy. It poisons intimacy. I'm always amazed when I hear people talking intimacy on one hand and unforgiveness on the other. They don't go hand in hand. You know, it's interesting because we, in our carnal minds, you know, we're our own sufficiency. I don't rely on God to protect me. I'm protecting myself, right? And so I've determined in myself, in my carnal point of view, that I'm not going to be hurt again in that way. And I maintain a perspective holding the injuring person in the worst light possible so I can defend them, defend myself against them in the future. Do you understand what I'm saying there? That we tend to attribute everything wrong to this person who offended me. And of course, you know, looking back on the past in our rose-colored glasses, we see ourselves as the noble victim, right? And the other person as a horrible perpetrator. When I would be willing to say that in a lot of cases that there's blame to be shared in both parties. You see my point? So in the past, you know, when we look back on the past, the past is amazingly deceptive. And we need to recognize that. I will not see things properly, you know, with the best of intentions. You know, the past is the past. We just don't see things right. Unforgiveness is absolutely contrary to grace. It's contrary to grace. There's a quote here I thought was pretty cool. It says, the ability to forgive is one of the surest signs of having been forgiven. It is part of the proof that we have received God's grace. Those who are truly forgiven, truly forgive. What is grace based on? The recognition that I didn't do this thing God did it for me in spite of me, right? So forgiveness is a proof of that. You see what I'm saying? And unforgiveness is a proof of self-sufficiency. When I am walking and I'm strong in grace, these sins, my own sins before God, are of greater importance to me than the sins that I suffer from another person. 
Does that make sense? I mean, think about the Pharisees. We talk about the Pharisees all the time. Pharisees tended to be very hard, very unyielding. They failed to offer mercy to other people. Why? Because, you know, it, they they placed themselves as God. Exactly. Their own sins. That's right. That's right. We take God's forgiveness for granted when we stubbornly withhold our forgiveness from others. In effect, we behave as though others sin against us is more serious than our sin against God. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. You simply cannot be strong in grace if you are unforgiving. Unforgiveness flows from a self-righteous spirit, a self-righteous spirit. It's interesting that growing up, it was always, you know, in, in popular entertainment, it was always the religious person who was depicted as being self-righteous, you know, church lady. Remember church lady on Saturday Night Live? Uh, but self-righteousness is no longer just for religious people these days. It's, uh, it is now painfully aware that self-righteousness is a human problem. It's not a religious problem. Think of today's cancel culture. The lash of public disapproval when anyone dares to step outside of the accepted public opinion. And I mean, this retribution, this retributive attitude towards, you know, going after somebody, punishing somebody because they didn't toe the line with political correctness. Somebody says something that isn't quite politically correct enough and they are eviscerated publicly. We are surrounded by scolds. Everybody know what a scold is? <laughs> Somebody who wags their finger at you, they're a scold. Uh, some of us have heard the term Karens. Yeah, Karens. Lecturing us in the most self-righteous tones. And when a person does apologize, does it mean anything? No. No, they want them groveling. He must pay for his crimes or her. Right? It's crazy. Um, and just as unforgiveness flows from a self-righteous spirit... Unforgiveness makes a person self-righteous. Um, here's a quote I thought was pretty cool. It says, the practice of comprehensive forgiveness overcomes our love of being right, our actual enjoyment and treasuring of our sense of being wronged. The constant practice of forgiveness le- leaves no room for self-righteousness. Frustrated condemnation of others and treasuring of old wrongs are not part of the artillery of God, but the slithering, slimy, deadly creatures of the Prince of Darkness. How about that? Man, that's a quote. That is a quote and a half. Let me read that again, that last part there. The uh, frustrated condemnation of others and treasuring of old wrongs are not part of the artillery of God, but the slithering, slimy, deadly creatures of the Prince of Darkness. That'll take your breath away, huh? Unforgiveness and unforgiving spirit is closely associated with a critical spirit. A critical spirit. And again, uh, Phariseeism. Go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. Look in verse 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, When you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. You know, I listen to these stories online about, you know, somebody 
having a, making a misstatement and getting just trashed for having said something that was inappropriate and, and thinking about the people who are trashing him and thinking, you know, you know, he who is without sin cast the first stone. It's just, it's amazing to me how people like to set themselves up as God and, and eviscerate other people. A critical spirit is a spirit that sees others' faults but rarely sees its own. And we all know people like that, right? They're the first one to speak up when they see somebody else doing something wrong. But then when you address with them a problem that they have, they're nothing but excuses, right? We need to be just the opposite. We are. We need to be people who pull our punches with other people. Or, you know, uh, God wants us to speak up if we see something wrong, but full of grace and mercy, right? We ought to be a lot tougher on ourselves. Um, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. Self-seeking. It is not easy, easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. How about that? Records of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. You know, there's a term that we use, stacking sin against sin, right? That I'm building a case against somebody. Now, are we guilty? I'm guilty. I am guilty of that, right? There is a place, of course, that, you know, if you're trying to root out a problem in a church, of course, you're going to be, you know, looking for trends, but we ought, we've got to be careful because there is such a thing as stacking sin against sin. Unforgiveness is spiritually degenerative. And like I said before, it's just the propagating power of leaven. It, it uh, is able to saturate and dominate. That's what leaven does. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. You know, it's always amazing to me how, uh, you know, it's like uh, if you took a, you know, a container of apples and you have one bad apple in the bunch and how it, you know, just by association with that apple, it will sour all the other apples in the bunch, right? Well, that's true with people too. You put a critical, unforgiving person in the midst of a church and that person will sour the entire congregation if allowed to. And, and keep in mind, that's how Satan works. And, You've got to, you've got to recognize that that spirit will go underground, you know, when confronted. But we need to see it for what it is. A person is known by his fruit. Unforgiveness is bondage. It's bondage. It's burdensome and it's carnal. Galatians 5.1 tells us that we are to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. We've got to stand against it. So, we've talked about unforgiveness. Let's talk a little bit about forgiveness. Forgiveness is a decision. It's a decision. Just as love is a decision. God so loved that he did what? Gave and forgave, right? There is no greater act of giving than forgiving. First Corinthians chapter 5, look in verse 6. It says, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works its way through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that ye may be a new batch without yeast. As you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. And this goes back, it harkens back to the old Passover idea, right? That you had the unleavened bread. 
and it represents sincerity and truth. Within a body of believers, that is what we're cultivating, sincerity and truth, and that we have to have our ears attuned to the unforgiveness, and that needs to be addressed in a household. Purge out the old leaven so that we can be a new lump. That's what it says. Um, I like this quote. It says, there is a big difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. It takes two to reconcile, so it is not always possible to be reconciled with a person. But it takes only one to forgive. So if people do you wrong, forgive them, whether or not they ask for forgiveness. You cannot cancel their sin. Only God can do that, and he will, will only do it if they repent. But what you can do is set aside your own anger, bitterness, and resentment towards them. How about that? It is your responsibility. I've heard this said at times, you know, in a person recounting a story. Unless that person's willing to get down on their face and repent, I don't accept their apology. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. First of all, that person shouldn't be getting down on his face for anyone but God, right? Uh, these people who say such things, you know, falsely believe that they're holding that person to account. Whether or not that person repents is between him and God. You're responsible for forgiving. And like I said, I can hear the difference when a person recounts the story. Now, just to make sure that we're clear on this, depending on the seriousness of the offense, we can choose in the future not to fellowship with that particular person who offended us, okay? And, and that's an important point here that I want to make, that I am not trivializing the offense. People do horrible things to people, and, you know, by our, you know, emphasizing forgiveness, I don't want it to be conflated with this idea that we are trivializing the offense. The offense was real, very real. So that's important. That's important here. Because God does not at all want us to be shallow. You know, I, I remember a minister in the past say, great men and women feel things greatly. I get, you know, I get hurt by what somebody has done to me. That's a very real hurt. What some of us have gone through are very real circumstances. But we need to give them to God and forgive. It's very important. Here's a quote. It's nothing but sheer wickedness for you not to forgive your offender for what he's done in light of all that you've been forgiven. When you compare the trivial offenses, which you must forgive with the enormous eternal offenses that you have committed against a holy God, the point is uncontestable. Now, the term there, trivial, it wasn't trivial at the time, but the great leveler is what God has forgiven us for. Isn't that something? That's the thing that makes it all, you know, that gives proportion to the discussion. When a person is unable to forgive another, it's an indicator of two things. First, they don't view their own sin against God as being all that egregious. And secondly, as such, their judgment about the seriousness of another sin is disproportional. And we've made that point, I think, quite a few times here. Go to Matthew chapter 18, look in verse 14. It says, In the same way that your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost, if your brother sin against you, do what? Go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you have won a brother, or won a brother over. But if he will not listen... Take one or two others along 
so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Right? So there is a method here. First thing that you got to do is you got to tell the fault to the, the person. And it's surprising how often people offend other people, and the other people never tell the person, you did this to offend me. They just hold a grudge. Well, that's so wrong, I can't even begin to tell you. I mean, it's completely unfair to the other person, isn't it? That other person never knew that they had offended you. So they can't offer an explanation. They can't change their behavior. They can't do anything. So you are entirely in the wrong there. So when I forgive a person, it should be understood that I'm making four promises. And here they are. I will not dwell on this incident. That's my first promise. I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. I will not talk to others about this incident. And I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. How about that? I tell you what, this is one of the biggest lessons, and we tell our boys this often, that you're not going to stay married very long without forgiveness. It, and any, I mean, I'll get a hearty, you know, you, you know, uh, amen from anybody who's married. Amen! amen. <laughs> Marriage requires tons of forgiveness, tons of forgiveness. And, you know, it's just, I, I don't know. I just, uh, I love it because, you know, there's a great, I love this. There's a great, uh, it's a, it's a little meme and it show it shows this little old man and this little old woman and the old man has got the, um, his umbrella, the rain's coming down and you can tell he's pissed, but he's holding the umbrella over the little old lady. He's getting rained on and he's mad, but he's taking care of his wife. And I just think that's so sweet. And I think that's really you know, how the love between two people progresses. That's why, you know, people who make it a habit of getting divorced, they miss out on all the good stuff. And the good stuff is, is that, you know, my wife and me, a lot of times we'll, we'll have a disagreement and, uh, and then we just forgive each other. I mean, we don't, a lot of times we don't even address the issue. We just forgive each other and, you know, half an hour later, hour later, we're back chitter chattering like best friends, right? I mean, do you understand that? And that didn't, that's not how we dealt with things when we were early on in the marriage. I mean, each situation was a flag in the ground, right? I am not budging off of this. And now things have taken their correct proportion. They're not that big a deal. Most of them aren't that big of a deal. And it's only when you have this merciful and forgiving nature that you can truly read things the way they need to be read, right? That's just not a big deal. That's not a big deal. It's not worth the stress and the fighting and everything else that goes with it. It's not important. What is important is, you know, us carrying forth with a, a good relationship. Go to Ephesians chapter 4 and look in verse 29. We're going to be, uh, we've got one more verse here coming up. It says, chapter 4, verse 29, Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their deeds that it may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. 
be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. Isn't that something? God's desire is renewal and restoration. And both of those are impossible to the person with the unforgiving spirit. And, uh, and then in the end, uh, I was just thinking about John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only, one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? You can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. And that includes the category of forgiveness. If you if you look at the amazing forgiveness in your own life and what God has done for you, it's really just no problem to forgive other people. All right? Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. We thank you, Father, for just blessing us with just a properly yielding spirit that, Father, that we... uh that we yield on those insignificant matters, that, that we have correct proportion in our understanding that, Father, we are a forgiving group of people, but forgiving, Father, as you forgive us, that, Father, that there is, there is just no reason for unforgiveness in a person's life. So thank you, Father, for that. Thank you, Father, for taking those burdens off our soul. And, uh, Father, that we can just live free of those excessive burdens and, and Father, be lights in this dark and perverse world. So thank you for this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. It flies in the face of all your pride. It moves away the mad inside. It's always anger's own worst enemy. Even when the jury and the judge say you got a right to hold a grudge, it's the whisper in your ear saying set it free. Forgiveness Forgiveness 